From our nation's capital, this is Naps Chat. I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter And make believe it came from you Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of Naps Chat. I'm Bob Levy, the Director of Legislative and Political Affairs for the National Association of Postal Supervisors. After all the chaos that had occurred in our nation's capital over the past week, I thought it would be comforting and reassuring to have NAPS's Executive Vice President Ivan Butts return as our guest on this week's edition of NAPS Chat. Welcome back, Ivan. Thanks, Bob. Before we discuss some topics of importance to our postal community, I wanted to take a few moments to defend our dedicated postal employees from a spiteful lie uttered by Donald Trump at the so-called Stop the Steal rally on January 6th. At that rally, which incited the assault on the United States Capitol, Trump stated as factual a universally discredited allegation that Wisconsin postal employees illegally backdated 100,000 ballots. The fiction was first uttered by a short-term temporary employee of a postal contractor whose claim was discredited about two months ago. The falsehood was based on a supposedly overheard conversation that could not have taken place because under Wisconsin law, ballot acceptance is based on whether or not a ballot was in the possession of election authorities on 8 o'clock p.m. on election evening, not the date on which the ballots were postmarked. So Trump's assertion at his rally is demonstrably false and libels dedicated postal employees who performed heroically during the election season. Ivan, I just thought that needed to be said. Well, thanks, Bob. That was uh, very well put. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, our The Postal Service performed admirably in this election cycle. We delivered over 65.2 million ballots across the country and it's just a shame that you know one we've been politicized uh in this process uh for doing just what we do uh to the best of our ability every day and that's try to serve america one of the things that we're going to be focusing on this year ivan and we've spoken about this in detail is to also look at the state capitals and state legislatures as they come and they take a look at voting by absentee ballot through the postal system because we are concerned that the misinformation and lies about the Postal Service could influence what we think would be very, very bad decisions by legislatures to sort of curtail absentee balloting. Yeah, I think, you know, really what I, I just want to do, I just want to build on on what we proved in this election cycle. So we reached out to this uh, state leadership on vote by mail and mail-in ballot issues and, and, again, trying to tell them, encouraging them to contact and work with the Postal Service on NSA's uh, agreements uh, for their vote-by-mail process. I think we want to – we're going to do some follow-up on that uh, with the state level just to kind of, you know, tell them, you know, let them, one, see and hear about the data and the success that the Postal Service had with vote-by-mail and mail-in ballots in, in this cycle, and then encourage them to move to this process. Again, it's, you know, uh, Postal Service is, is safe, secure, 
We, you can't hack a letter. So, you know, uh, uh, if you want turnout, if you want accuracy, if you want security, then, then vote by mail is what you want. I just want to make a comment right now. All this information about uh, or the promotion of the attack on the Capitol was not done in printed correspondence that was mailed. It was all done on electronic or digital communications. So the importance and the credibility of hard copy printed information transit by the Postal Service in any way, shape, or form has tremendous, tremendous credibility in contrast to what we've been seeing online. Yeah, I think uh, this whole social media issue is really kind of coming to a, a boil right now what you know what people believe and then what they do with that belief or what they see it and, and there's some scary things and and it should give us all some pause as to what we what we take in and and then what we do with that information now Ivan let's talk a little bit about postal performance uh, particularly with regard to timeliness of first-class mail, which is so important, and that is a core product of the United States Postal Service. All right, Bob, I just start, just finished talking about how great we did with, <laughs> with, with elections. Well, I, well, I'm going to talk about things that are outside of postal employees' control, and you know where I'm going right with this yeah, right absolutely. now. As our listeners know, federal courts ordered the Postal Service to submit performance data as a direct result of a series of lawsuits brought against Postal Service management in response to headquarters operational directives this past summer. Operational directives, not postal employees' work. Could you talk about your review of that data? Because I know you have been developing charts and really analyzing that data in, de in detail. Yeah, Bob, it, it, it really brings a, a concern when we look at the data and start doing analytics around it. You know, uh, again, during this election cycle where we delivered, we had a focus uh, effort across the board on ballots and getting that done, and we were performed over 90%. But when looking at this information coming out uh, based on the lawsuit uh, from the Southern District of uh, New York, uh, what we see is that our market-dominant products are, are continually to suffer and deteriorate. And it's a combination of things. I think we're in kind of that perfect storm, like the perfect storm in 08 and with the finances and everything, a downturn of volume. I think we we're, might be heading into that perfect storm also in this time. One, the machine reductions. We cannot, you know, I guess you can't, you know, talk about service without talking about the machines that were reduced back in June when the new Postmaster General or the, the Postmaster General came on board or before and, and, and then shortly after that. So that's one factor. And then obviously COVID-19 is playing a factor. We have employee availability issues that we have to realize. So you have those two those two components coming in, and then you just have the fall. The we had the uh, peak season, so then we're and then we're struggling with that with peak season also. So you have a combination of things that really is are is impacting operations across the board. But you know, it, and on that data that we're getting out of the Southern District of New York, I mean, you just see mail service that's really getting to levels that we have never seen never seen even probably prior to all automation 
you know, we've never seen scores like this. So it, it gives us some, some pause to, you know, moving into a new administration and a new session on, on what, what postal ref- not only what postal reform is, but what, what is uh, postal restoration. And I think that's some that's a conversation that we're going to have to have on our in our on our legislative grassroots efforts. Also, I should mention that when we speak about the Southern District, that is the federal district court for the Southern District of New York. And that lawsuit party to that lawsuit was a freshman member of Congress. At that time, he was a candidate. And the individual who was the lead litigant in that lawsuit is now a freshman member of Congress from New York, from, uh, I believe, Rockland County, which is north of New York City. And I believe he is one of a, a part of the leadership right now in, in the Congress as a representative of the freshman class. So uh, that's just interesting, an interesting tidbit about this lawsuit. I want to also talk just about the performance data, because I am particularly interested in the on-time numbers in two postal districts that were consequential in the 2020 election and the recent January 4th Georgia runoff elections. Those are the Detroit district and the Atlanta district. In early June, the first-class on-time performance in Detroit was 86%, and for Atlanta was 91%, respectively. In In Detroit, as I understand it, 11 delivery barcode sorters were removed during the summer, and two AFCs were removed. In Atlanta, four DBCSs were removed, and two AFCSs were removed. Fast forward, the most recent data filed in federal court, and that would have been January 8th, that would reflect the end of December. It reflects an operational cratering in Detroit of on time of 44% on time in Detroit and 51% on time in Atlanta. That's a drop of 42% and 40%, Ivan. What yeah. you, that's shocking. Yeah, yeah it is, Bob. I was very I was very shocked when I seen this report uh, that came out and started looking at that data. Uh, um, those 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 reductions in in service uh, that drastic Again, you know, we could point to the the kind of triple triple uh, impact that we got we have going on, but certainly, you know, the the machine losing this uh, machine capability, which we said in in the beginning when we when they, when we found out about these machine reductions and talking to legislators, we 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 talked about taking that type of firepower. Out of a out of our infrastructure is going to impact service. Now that's just been magnified with COVID nineteen and then the peak season. But nevertheless, taking that amount of, of processing firepower out of an infrastructure, it, it's going to decimate service. And this is just and th- and this is just what we're seeing. And this is not the result of employee problems. This is operational problems from the from the issue of automation because in June we had the pandemic the pandemic hit the postal service already so the variable that changed or the factor that changed was the the operational capability of the postal service with regard to the lack of machinery to actually process mail in a timely manner 
Yeah, but I, I will give some uh, some cover to uh, uh, leadership uh, based on employee availability. Although I haven't seen actual data on employee availability, that I, I have to believe that now that we have moved further along into this COVID-19 pandemic, that we, we may be seeing more employee call-offs and employee availability issues. Again, I, I, I haven't seen data that really supports it, but like I said, I'll, I'll give some cover mm-hmm. uh, on that issue. But still, what we said in the initial still really rings true now, and that is if you take that amount of firepower out of a operate out of operations, then you're going to delay mail, and you're going you're not going to be as fi- efficient in serving America. So we have less machinery and less employees, with the squeezing of overtime and increased mail volume as the result. This because this is post-election mail. So we're talking about Christmas mailing season, all that factoring into just not having the capability of delivering appropriately. That's not a good place to be for America's premier uh, delivering network. No, that's it's, it's not a place we want to be, and it's not a certainly not a place we we've, we've been in quite a number of years. That's why I, I believe one of the things we have to look at is is is, is restoration, some type of, of operational service restoration, not just reform uh, for the postal service. That, I think we moved into a new level of addressing postal issues. So that leads me into my next question is how should NAPS react to this data? And how should the, more importantly, how should the Postal Service react to this data? I mean, yeah, I think it's more importantly is how the post, how should the Postal Service react to the data? And and again, you know, we're, we're, we're a service to America. We're, we're America's Postal Service. Our, our mission is to deliver America's mail. And, and if you look at those scores, we're not doing that. So I would say that the look is from leadership of the Postal Service. What are, what, what are you doing or what are you going to propose to do to, to fix this service that, that's now really not serving America the way it should or the way it has in the past? I mean, I, I, I hear the frustration from our members out in the field just struggling uh, day in and day out, trying to deliver America's mail, and they continually feel like they they're handcuffed and hamstringed by the very leadership that's supposed to be deliver helping us deliver America's mail. Now, Congress is going to be very interested in all in this because our conversations, you and I, our conversation that you and I have had with congressional leadership has been they want to look and want to have some oversight over what has happened over the past six months in the Postal Service. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about that in a second, but I first want to talk to you about the presidential transition and what impact you think it will have on postal decision-making. As you know, there are three current vacancies on the Postal Board of Governors. The president nominates members to the Board of Governors, and the Senate must confirm them. Most importantly, the Board of Governors is the Postmaster General's boss. What advice would you give you I, if you were opposite facing in a meeting in the Oval Office with President-elect Biden? What advice would you give him on selecting nominees to fill the three vacancies on the Board of Governors? Well, uh, uh, of course, I think first and foremost, Bob, they would they need to be uh, have a mindset or a business mindset of serving. 
what does it mean to serve America uh, in this postal service? How do how do we grow this business? How do we uh, move this business forward? I think they need to be really pro postal and not with a mindset of how uh, cut. One thing, you know, that really strikes me, uh, uh, former Postmaster Donahoe, one of the things he said uh, as he was about to retire after he, you know, did a lot of things that you would consider cuts, uh, was he said, well, you know, the Postal Service, we got to do something different. We can't cut our way to sustainability. But that's exactly what the Postal Service continues to do, try to cut its way to sustainability. And that's not working, and, and, and that's, that's not serving America. So we, I think the, I, would, I would ask the president to kind of look at, at leadership on that board of governors that's going, going to help this uh, agency uh, make better decisions than what they're making now with the cuts that they're doing figuring out how, how we continue to serve America, even if that means that, you know, we if some budgetary changes have to be made, that we made that, that America's uh, Postal Service remains uh, sustainable, remains vi- vibrant, and again, it even expands uh, what it's doing. There's, there's, there's tremendous opportunity out there, but, you know, I think the, the Postal Service leadership needs to be willing to take advantage of it. And then we need support from our Board of Governors to, to move the Postal Service leadership in that direction. So you're looking for Board of Governors that will rebuild the Postal Service and equip it to deal with the challenges that it's facing without cutting itself into oblivion. Yeah, I think that's what I would like to see. Also, I think, I think you know, the Board of Governors need to know something about the post office, need to you know, maybe be a former postal postal employee or postal leader. They need to understand the operation. I mean, you know, I think part of our problem is that we have people even working at USPS headquarters that never never worked at, never worked in the post office, never touched a piece of mail other than opening their own personal mail or work mail. So you know, we have we have leaders that don't have a, a, a clear understanding of what what the mission is, or or, or only have an understanding of a mission. Uh, from reading a report or reading a, a document, you know. So I think, you know, having not that kind of boots-on-ground knowledge could be helpful, too. Interesting. There is precedent for that because there wasn't a, a member of the Postal Regulatory Commission in recent memory, a, guy, a former postmaster named Don Tisdale, who had an operational knowledge of the Postal Service and was to able to share that knowledge with other members of the Postal Regulatory Commission while he was in service. So it would make sense that a former postal employee possibly serve on the Board of Governors. It's not unprecedented. Yeah, and I think that kind of knowledge is beneficial to to all, not just uh, in making decisions, but beneficial to the other board members who really uh, only know, again, what you read on a report or what you kind of read in a newspaper. So their knowledge is very limited on actually what, what how the inner workings of operation, boots on grounds operation works. Uh, that's one of the things I, I, I love about, you know, that, that we have a, a Brenda Lawrence in, in Congress, someone who's a former postal manager. So she knows the ins and outs 
uh, and uh, she knows the post office. So you know, it makes it makes her her support uh, that much more uh, beneficial to us. We were just talking about the president can appoint, you know, nominate members of the Board of Governors, but he doesn't necessarily take part in any operational decisions of the Postal Service. However, the president could direct budgetary arms of the government or uh, certain arms agencies within the government of accommodating certain budgetary issues that have thus far been unfair to the Postal Service. For example, the calculation of the retirement liability. So would you advise the president in areas of treating the Postal Service more fairly as far as determining liability? Yeah, absolutely I would, Bob, because I think, you know, those determinations, as you are, as you just said, are unfair. And, and over the years, they really painted a, a bleak picture of the Postal Service. So, again, those formulas and factors need to be looked at and they need to be they need to be uh, uh, more modernized to to a, a real world model for the Postal Service. And the president has that power to do that by uh, authorizing those agencies to make those changes. So, yes, that would be help to give us a better, a, a, a more realistic picture uh, of where the postal, postal Service is. Now let's turn our attention to Congress, and Senator Gary Peters of Michigan will be the new chairman of the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. He is quite different than his predecessor, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. What advice would you give Senator Peters as he assumes the chairmanship of that committee? I guess I, I I would just you know ask ask Senator Peters you know to to be open minded towards you know uh, the situation where we are in our conversations with him he's been very supportive of postal issues and and postal concerns I know he has some real issues about the direction the postal service is going in with these machine reductions so we would just I would just ask for him to just kind of continue to 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 give us and show us that support and we'll be you know looking forward to working with him to our fullest uh, possibility, really, to try to, you know, make sure that we keep America's post office sustainable. I think uh, one of the things looking at, again, we talked about uh, Michigan and, and, and some of the issues up in Detroit. I know that's very disturbing to him, um, but there are ways that we can fix that. And it's good that we have him in leadership because, uh, again, uh, under the last chairman uh, of our committee, we, we really saw a very little next to nothing that, that he, he was even willing to do. Uh, his infamous, I, again, I just always remember his infamous thing was uh, let the post office go bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so, you know, uh, again, we're in a better place just because we don't we don't have that anymore. On the other side of the Capitol, Representative Carol Maloney will retain the gavel of the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, and Jerry Conley will retain the chairmanship of the subcommittee that has jurisdiction over the Postal Service. They have both been very critical of Postal Headquarters operational changes made this past summer. What advice would you provide them? Well, you know what? In our conversations with Representative Chairwoman uh, Maloney and, 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 and Chairman Conley, you know, we, we talked about that. We talked about the service. We, t- we talked about, you know, the, the decline of service with the, the machine reductions 
and and things that we that we would like to see or the things that need to be addressed. And they have a well. I mean, we had they have a wealth of understanding from working not just with Nashville, working with the other management association and the unions on our issues for a number of years, trying to to get things uh, moved across the finish line. We're just we're we're I'm just excited that we're in a position now. Uh, where maybe we can get some of these things over the finish line. Postal reform, uh, MSPB rights for EAS, uh, fair pay for managers, uh, just, and through the changes in Title 39. Just, you know, I, I'm just kind of excited that they've been with us all this time moving uh, legislation that really didn't go anywhere because it wasn't moving through the Senate. But now we have an opportunity now that maybe we can move some of those issues through the Senate and get them signed into law and, and move our, our not just the agency into a better uh, uh, place, but also, you know, benefit EAS and, and postal employees uh, for the future. During the first week in Congress, Representative Steve Lynch introduced House Resolution 47. That's from last year, as people might recall, he introduced a resolution to ensure that the Postal Service remains a federal agency and provides of public service and not be privatized. So we just wanted to let our folks know that that is one of the postal bills that has already been introduced this Congress. And we're going to be looking forward to reintroduction of particularly legislation with regard to Merit System Protection Board appeal rights, as well as, well as give a fairer consultative process, which were two bills which were introduced by Congressman Jerry Conley, and also to address whistleblower protections for our members we'll be looking for this year. Last question, Ivan, and that brings us to our priorities, is I want to talk about a, our reimagined springtime legislative training seminar, which people are so accustomed to traveling to Washington and interacting in person face-to-face. Could you share what our plans are at this point about the uh, reimagined LTS? Yeah, um, well, obviously due to COVID-19 and everything that's going up here, up here in the district, uh, we decided that we would cancel the in-person uh, LTS in March that was scheduled for March 28th. But what we want to do, we definitely want to keep our foot on the gas uh, on our grassroots legislation. We don't want to slow down at all. So we're going to put together uh, all our materials that we normally put together and have available for you on the website uh, for our LTS, our talking points, our slides, our economic impact statements, even the critique forms, all those, all those things that you normally see at an LTS. And then what we want to do is, is once we, we get that developed and, and have that all on, we're going to have a series of Zoom meetings uh, probably at the regional levels uh, where we'll bring in the state legislative chair, state president at a minimum, and then whatever other members uh, are available to get on or are more than willing to get on, and then go over uh, uh, many training sessions uh, for our membership and then encourage you to set up these uh, meetings, uh, uh, Zoom meetings, uh, with, with your legislators, and, and then and then we'll, we'll continue to move our, our issues, our legislative concerns, our asks, move them forward and, and, and not take our foot off the gas uh, just because of we're dealing with this pandemic, to work, work within the pan, pandi- pandemic in a new way. 
And would you, because we're going to be having this LTS, this reimagined LTS in the spring, that provides an opportunity at our summer convention to reinforce those messages and to do the big fall push to underscore the importance of the issues that we brought to the attention of our members of Congress uh, during the spring. Yeah, absolutely. At some point in time, we're, we'll, 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 it's, it's going to be, you know, a work in progress. But at some point in time, you know, hopefully we'll be able to uh, start, you know, coming back up to D.C. and doing things up on the Hill. Uh, uh, and then, you know, we'll have to look at that. One thing that I said that, you know, to you guys, a lot hinged on where we were as a, as, as leadership, right? As the administrator, as a, the, the president, uh, the Congress and the Senate, uh, where we were, if, 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 if the perfect thing came about where we had uh, labor friendly, uh, administration, Congress and, and Senate, then, you know, we were in the window, we're in a window, a two year window to really, uh, move our grassroots desires not just our efforts, but move the things we want to move to help shepherd them uh, not across the finish line. So we're in that window now. So, you know, we're going to do everything we have to do to try to make that happen within this two-year window. So we got a lot of work cut out for us, and but we'll, we'll, get, we'll get it together and get it moving. Ivan, I want to thank you for joining us on NAPS Chat this week. Thanks, Bob. To our listeners, if you enjoy NAPS Chat, please leave a positive review in the Apple Podcast Store. And more important, tell your friends to download our podcast and listen in. Be well and be safe till next week. I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter And make believe it came from you I'm gonna